Chapter 33 The Darkness is Thick The Sorgeal Sea was angry when Fallow and his fellow Shadlines reached it. His mood wasn't much better. Three days into their downstream trip, they'd come to a sprawling delta of fingery streams and swamps that led nowhere. Zirheen said the way through changed from week to week, sometimes hour to hour. She relied on her Shadline instincts to guide them, which only had them backtrack a dozen times and portage the entire craft twice. But now the sea opened before them, the Covey-Mest coast to the west, the Sorgan spit to the east. The Sorgeal was narrow here, thirty miles wide. Fellow had hoped that meant for calm seas. He was quite disappointed. The waves were choppy and irregular, first striking the bow, then athwart the small craft's beam, threatening to tip them, cat and all, into the deep. Zirheen assured him that cats could swim. At one point, Fallow was tempted to test it out. Lob had grown surly during the trip, returning to her old ways of demanding food before responding to the simplest request. I think that animal is part pig, the cloak said. She's gained half a stone in six days. That was an exaggeration, a quarter stone at most. They put ashore early that day because Fallow told them he felt a pull to the land there on the Covey-Mest side of the sea. They found a rocky beach, black stone polished by the surf. The rocks tinkled under their boots. Fellow had lied. He had only wanted to get out of the boat and stretch his legs. More than anything, he wanted a fire and a bit of cooked fish to chew on. Fish, Lop sent. How did you know I was thinking of fish? Perhaps ask yourself why you were thinking of fish. Lop squirmed free of Fallow's pack and tender-footed across the stone, stopping to sniff empty clamshells and pools of salt water. It's too wet here. Fallow helped drag the boat ashore. The cloak was already ranging ahead, hand on his hilt in case he had to suddenly immolate a sea shrub or gull with his magic sword. Zirheen was placid as ever, but even she seemed relieved to get off the water. He'd seen her slip a lip full of some weed or other from one of her pouches. She'd looked a bit green prior, but soon she'd been hale as a radiance hound. Fallow had never had seasickness. He liked knowing Zirheen had at least one frailty. He was still seeking one in Cloak Einland. So far, humorlessness was all he'd come up with. I feel strongly that food and fire are required by the force of destiny, Fallow said. You think you are joking, Zirheen said, laughing lightly. You do not understand, listen, and obey at all. But you will learn. You will learn. Well, that took all the fun out of his deceit. And now she had him wondering if his lie was actually the Shadline instinct manifesting in a different way. Do I have any say in my future at all? Surely. You make decisions all the time. Each can lead to triumph or disaster. Most are not so momentous. You are truly tired, cold, and hungry, no? Uh, I have been since I met the cloak. She laughed again, a nice laugh with all sorts of very white teeth in it. He loves discomfort. That is his favorite tune, as we say. And what's yours? The wind, the clouds, the pattern of wet leaves on the bottom of my teacup. They hold portents. For you, the voice will be loud or soft, 
but you will always hear it once you know what to listen for. You must think us fools if you thought we did not know you sought respite from discomfort. But I thought pain marks the path. But signposts themselves are not the path. You cannot serve the good of humanity if you are dead. For Cloak Island, resting discomforts his urgent mind. It took him many years to learn the wisdom in rest. So you're saying my pain has been his pleasure? As if he hadn't known that already. Again, the white smile. And the opposite is true, no? When you enjoy rest is when he struggles most. Life is full of perverse humor, but perhaps you think on these things too deeply. The cloak is reticent to explain things to you for a simple reason. The more you hang words on things, the less you know the things themselves. A hunter knows the deer does not think of itself as a deer, so the hunter seeks to know it as it knows itself. So it is with your choices and the urgings of destiny. It is not one or the other. It is both pushing, pulling, flowing in and out of each other. It is weather. Is the portent in the cloud, or is it in my understanding of the cloud? I neither know nor care, for it works. Listen and obey. With that, she patted his arm amiably and left him to stew in the meaningless brew of words she'd just dumped onto his head. To Fallow's surprise, the cloak discovered shelter and chose to use it. This made Fallow suspicious. During their first few ten days wandering the wilderness, the cloak had refused to use shelter, preferring to sleep in the open without so much as a pine tree overhead to keep rain or snow off of them. The shelter here was a seaside cottage, long abandoned. The roof was sound, and there was no evidence that large wildlife had made it a den. It was damp inside, the rough plank floorboards mushy and mossy. An iron stove crouched dejectedly in one corner, but being iron, it was up to the task of holding and burning scavenged driftwood. The flue had a few rust holes. These the cloak had fallow plug with pieces of sticks mortared in place with mud. Once it was fired and burning, the stove filled the cottage with a delightful warmth. Soon they began to dry out. Fallow shed his cloak and shirt, hanging them on a wall peg near the stove. The cloak did the same. Zirheen's clothes soon hung from the single crossbeam spanning the ceiling. Fellow's cheeks burned as he fought to keep his eyes from goggling her startling nakedness. She saved him from his struggle by retrieving a dry tunic from her pack. Still, it barely fell to mid-thigh. There might be a bit of the gray in her hair, but curves were curves. Lop was in particularly good spirits, taking up a position of honor near the stove and settling in for a good grooming. There'd be some moaning and vomiting from her later. Zirheen collected Lop's furballs. She said they were useful and rare. Lop held Zirheen in high regard. Finally, someone who recognizes my magnificence. The only furniture remaining was a table for two and two battered chairs, mostly rotten. The weary companions would have to make do with the floor for a bed. But first, food. I'm going to collect some dinner, Fallow said. If we had a pot, we could have a right good clam bake. They are good enough raw, the cloak said. Lop did not deign to join Fallow on the beach. 
Fellow was sure the cat would be in for an unpleasant surprise when the cloak forbade her any of their dinner. On land, she was to fend for herself. Taking pity on his furry friend, Fellow sent, You need to hunt. Later, I just got dry. Only your paws were wet. You've been sleeping in my pack for ages. Only a day or two, surely. Cats had no sense of time. You won't get any of my food from me. You know the rules. No answer except a discontented grudge coming through the bond. Fine, he thought. She'd been told. What she did with that information was her own responsibility. Now that was a lesson hard-earned. The Shadline Blade Fellow carried came with a huge responsibility, according to the cloak. Fellow hadn't believed it at first because he didn't feel it. Only once he'd learned what the blade was had any sense of that responsibility awakened, but it was still very abstract. Now here he was on a lonely stretch of the Covey Mast, gathering clams for his supper. Rather, not gathering clams. The shore was too rocky. He settled for the fat crabs sneaking among the rocks. Old Rusty did for them easily enough, and soon he had half a dozen good ones. He was returning to the cottage, his bounty bundled in his arms and jabbing his chilled bare chest, when the feeling came over him. It was different than when Startle had been bonded, or when he'd felt the presence of Linus's hidden fortress. He stopped walking. A gray mist had washed over the land here, though the skies were blue out to sea. Listen and obey was needed here. Something was calling to him. He closed his eyes and let out a long breath. It took him a moment to find the sensation, a strange perception, like a soft brush of a feather over his bare shoulders. A snatch of song came to him. He sang in a quavery voice, on the foam-washed shore the salt-white fingers crawl. The hand of poor Jin Weil tears apart his seaweed call. But this was not the ghost fingers of a lost sailor, he felt. He turned in a circle, eyes still closed, letting himself feel whatever it was he felt. The breeze, the droplets freezing his flesh, the salt and seaweed and rotting fish smell of the sea, the rush and hush of the surf like slumbering breaths. The black stone tinkled under his boots, chime-like but discordant. The tickle on his shoulders remained. The claws of dead crabs pressed into his skin. It was all discomfort, but behind that, another feeling. Trepidation, a hint of fear a resistance, as if an inner voice called softly to him, Do not go that way. The way in question was behind the cottage, inland, where the land rose to a verdant rock-strewn heath. There was nothing there, but his sensations said there was. He returned to the cottage and began dressing. We must go up a ways. Rather than ask him why, his companions simply dressed and girded themselves for whatever the day might bring. Lop squinted at him. She eyed the crabs he piled onto the moldering table. You will never get into them, he sent. What are those, spiders? They can be tasty. Spiders, armored spiders. You will not get to the flesh. A distinct we'll see about that feeling came over the bond. 
Out of irritation, Fallow sent, Stay here. As if the cat had any intention of leaving the comfort and warmth of the cottage, Lop meowed and curled her fluffy tail around her feet. The cloak nodded to Fallow. Zerheen merely arched an eyebrow as if to say, Lay on. And so he did. Fallow was no tracker, but a different sort of thick grass had taken root in a narrow band that wound upward. It was bordered by the heather and gorse that blanketed the rest of the countryside. This overgrown path ascended a shallow incline to the top of a rise. But that wasn't where the feeling told Fallow not to go. This is silly, he muttered. I feel that we must not go this way. Then why did you fetch us? Zirheen asked. The cloak merely drew Taswin. I don't know, but I know we must. His heart began to pound. You are learning. It irritated Fallow that her words warmed him. He waved a hand, shooing the distraction away. He didn't know if he was learning or if greater forces were simply using him as a hand tool. He broke from the overgrown track to go north. The feathery feeling still tingled his shoulders, stronger now, more demanding that he turn and run away. His breathing and heartbeat responded accordingly. Kill be a merry maiden, he said, drawing old Rusty from its scabbard. There's nothing ahead. It should be right. His foot caught something hard hidden under the heather, pitching him forward. He came down awkwardly, flinging his blade hand out to keep from stabbing himself. A shock zinged through his elbow and his cheek mashed vegetation flat. The pain of the fall barely registered, for the trepidation he'd felt now coursed down his spine. He scrambled to his feet and backed away from where he'd fallen. He bumped into Zirheen. Steady, she said. It is merely a slab of stone. She held her curved blade reft in her hand. She set about hacking the grasses clear. The stone beneath had been eroded to smoothness by ages of rain and wind. But the form quickly became clear. The cloak joined in, pulling up clumps with his hands. He never chopped things with Taswin because the blades sometimes set them ablaze in a fit of pique. Fallow forced himself to stay put, but he couldn't bring himself to help with the mowing. The slab was carved all across its rectangular expanse. The lines had likely been chiseled deeply into the gray and green-flecked stone, but they had been smoothed away over the ages, the remaining depth filled with soil. It's a man, he said, studying the carving of an armored figure holding a sword on his chest. It's a tomb, the cloak said. This is a Lumni's lay. Fallow noted with rising alarm that his mentor had not sheathed his weapon. In fact, he looked more ready for battle than before. Zerheen ran her blade around the edge of the stone, revealing a thick edge. It was a slab resting atop a flat-hewn stone beneath. Older than that, Cloak Island, she said. She traced a series of ruins along a simply carved border pattern. Virgent wards. This is a virgin tomb? Fallow said skeptically. No, it's a man's tomb. Whoever put it here, likely the fellow depicted, feared the virgin would come for his bones. First off, virgin kin don't truly exist. Second, they're small. No way they could move that slab. Third... Zerheen said, holding up three fingers. Some can pass through doors without opening them. These wards were placed to prevent that. And now she sounded skeptical. 
And why would Virgent Kin want someone's bones? he asked. Why else but to entrap their soul? the cloak said. Do we go in, Shedline? The question caught Fellow off guard. He rubbed his bruised elbow and puckered greenery from his thick eyebrow. In? The cloak didn't dignify his question, but simply waited, sword in hand, body tense. Why was he tense if this was a tomb? The fear pushing Fallow back had a smell now. Not a true smell, but a remembered smell. A piquant quality of bitter and satisfying cheese or wine. Repulsively attractive. Kind of like Fallow himself. In. But I don't think the three of us can heft that lid. It's a ton at least. Maybe if we get lop in harness. The joke struck unamused ears and thudded into the gorse. A lever will have to serve, the cloak said. He walked the perimeter of the stone, studying the edges. Lips pursed, he considered an angle. Seems to slope a bit that way. With no more explanation, he lowered Tasuin close to the ground and began waggling the tip between the slab and the rock beneath. The steel on stone grinding made Fallow's teeth shudder. Even Zirheen's lips pulled back in response to the horrific sound. That cannot be proper Shadline sword, uh, husbandry. He didn't know what the word was for caring for one's blade. But he'd known a couple of blacksmiths who would have beat a man's head against an anvil if he attempted this trick with one of their swords. The cloak got the sword wedged an inch or two in, then to Fallow's horror, picked up a stone and commenced hammering it on the pommel. Clank, 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 scrape, clank. The poor fellow below is trying to be dead, Fallow said. Not even Lumni can hold his spirit beneath the surface with that ramming going on right overhead. The slab lifted as the thickness of the blade drove in. Get your blades in there and help, the cloak ordered. Zerheen shrugged and added reft to pry-bar duty. Fallow looked at old Rusty. Noble Rusty, forgive this indignity. There was plenty of room for Rusty, but it wasn't that long of a blade, so he didn't think it would offer much leverage. The cloak counted, and they heaved together. The slab tilted up an inch. Abruptly, the other side loosened its grip enough to slide. The slab slammed down, revealing a black gap six inches wide. Did you ask Lop to come? Zirheen said, laughing. Fallow wanted to laugh, and he did. But opening the tomb even this much had tripled the scurrying tingles crossing his shoulders. A rank smell rose through the gap. Ugh, it smells like the sour water. Heave, the cloak shouted on a grunt. Fallow heaved. Zerheen groaned. The slab slid a bit more, guided by Tasuin's steel. The black gap opened beneath it, revealing the first step of a narrow stone stairway. Hewn from the bedrock, the cloak said. Had that been a note of surprise? Perhaps even grudging respect for the poor blokes who'd toiled away to make this hell tomb in the middle of Kill's own scrabble land? I thought it would be just a hole, Fallow said, peering into the blackness. Does it seem to you that daylight doesn't quite reach in as far as it should? Lop, get up here. I have a job for you. Zerheen returned reft to the scabbard on her back. What say you, Shadline? In we go? He swallowed and rubbed one elbow. His instincts told him not to go, not even if a dragon were swooping down to flame him to matchsticks.
but another part of his mind insisted he go in. Lap, wake up! He felt the cat stir. I'm too hungry to walk that far. I thought you were going to eat all the crabs. I couldn't get in. Come here. I need you to go in a hole. Why didn't you say so? The cat began to move. I'm going to have Lop nose in there a bit. She'll be able to smell if anything uh, dangerous is in there. The dangers won't be alive, the cloak said. Horrors thrilled over Fallow's skin. You mean the dead are shuffling around down there? The cloak turned away. Zerheen put a hand on Fallow's arm. She leaned close. I believe he was referring to traps. Oh, well, of course. Haha, <laughs> just making a bit of humor, you know. Where are you? He sent to Lop. The cat arrived five minutes later, ambling along as if she had all day and nothing to do. Where's this hole? Fallow pointed. Lop stopped at the edge, feet daintily together as she peered into the unnatural gloom. Suddenly, she slunk down the steps until her inky fur blended into the shadows and she was gone. Not so fast, Fallow sent. There could be... The clank of iron against stone resounded from the narrow stairwell, like a battle-axe striking a hunk of granite. Lop! Fallow shouted. What do traps look like? Lop sent. Zerheen covered her mouth, even the cloak tensed. Fallow still felt Lop through the bond. She is well, I thought. Zerheen gasped with relief. The cloak did not relax. He merely watched Fallow and waited. And Fallow waited too, though he didn't know for what. What made that noise, he sent. A thing swung down and hit the wall over my head. Too loud. I can't see anything. The darkness is thick. The idea of thick was accompanied with a feeling of honey on her feet. She says the darkness is thick. It doesn't look natural to me. Marcus? The cloak bent and sniffed the air rising from the tomb. Perhaps to keep pillagers from going deeper. Zerheen? She dipped into one of her pouches and chewed some dried plants into a glommy paste. She took hold of Fallow's blade arm and lifted. With delicate care, she jabbed her gooey blob onto the tip of Fallow's dagger. It won't be bright, but it will penetrate. She uttered a command under her breath, and the glob glowed blue. Fallow regarded this with great skepticism. What if I need to jab something? It's a tomb, Fallow. What are you going to jab? Lop, you still alive? I'm starving. What's in there? No food and darkness. Besides that, it goes on and on. Rot. Funny echoes. And then Lop was fading, quickly. Fallow lurched down the steps, heels slipping and making him judder down in tooth-shaking bounces. He came to a stop where a heavy whip-axe had sprung a vicious trap. The shaft was mounted into the ceiling. It must have been held under tension somehow. When Lop came by, it released. Fellow didn't see a tripwire. Lop, what's happening? Who has you? No answer. Not because Lop was ornery, but because she was very far away. Miles. But that was impossible. His companions descended behind him, more elegantly than he, having used the steps for stepping rather than falling. Fallow's blade tip gave off a soft blue glow. It illuminated the walls of the narrow passage ahead. It was hewn rock, seamless, dry and dusty. It showed small imperfections from the tools used to work it, 
but it was remarkably straight and even. Fallow clambered to his feet. If Lop wasn't so far ahead, he was sure he'd turn tail and go back to the boat and start paddling for jealousy that very moment. Instead, he went forward, Zerheen's blob of spit goo lighting the way.